So if you go, I'm broke, I'm unhappy, I struggle with love. Well, that's going to be your identity. But what if you said, I'm not broken. I'm full. I'm intelligent. I'm smart. I'm humorous. I have the ability to grow. Man, now you start seeing possibilities all around you. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm J.R. Flatter, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Lucas. Hello. Hey, Lucas. And our distinguished guest today is Chuck Hogan. Chuck, I'll remind you and our audience who we are and what we're all about. So we're talking to leaders of complex organizations that are striving and surviving in this 21st century, this hyper-competitive labor market, freelance economy, gig economy. We're in the 24th year of the 21st century, if you can believe that. We're a quarter of the way through this century already. Leadership's pretty similar, but the way people work and the things they're expecting of their self and their organizations is changing. I'm working on three screens here. I'm taking notes and watching and uh, looking at your impressive background. So if you just don't mind jumping in here and introducing yourself, you got some amazing things going on. Take some time to brag about yourself and what you're doing. I appreciate y'all. Thank you so much for having me on today. I've had the pleasure of being involved in behavioral sciences for the better part of the last 35 years and uh, did a stint with a very well-known, I'll say, uh, practical psychologist as what we'll, we'll term him as, where I actually was affiliated with Mr. Tony Robbins for 22 years as a volunteer senior trainer within his ranks and got to travel all over the world and help, I'll say, inspire and move people towards a place of positivity or even neutrality when they were having exactly to your point, JR, like challenges in particular in business or in relationships, because we all know there's a lot of people right now that have amassed a tremendous amount of wealth, but boy, they've had some challenges around having intimacy or having fulfillment in their lives. So I got really involved about 22 years ago when we found out my wife on my birthday decided to uh, announce that we're having a child. And it was like, row, row. Okay, uh, no instruction manual. Uh, it's like, I better get my act together and be a more, I'll say, uh, responsible steward and husband, father, friend, coworker, business owner, entrepreneur. It was like, wow, I'm wearing a lot of hats all simultaneously. And to your point, I'll say the tipping point for me in relation to really advancing and growing actually happened during COVID. And because our world got turned on its head where you're going, okay, clients and business and the affluence of being able to have connection and, and proximity to people kind of went, <laughs> it was like, whoa, where did everyone go? <laughs> it's like, I'm in this big building and there's nobody here. Why? Well, they're all at home. Well, they're all wearing masks. So, or, you know, it's like, whoa, if you were a DoorDash, you know, food delivery service guy, you were rolling in the dough because, man, people are like going, bring it, man. Where's my Whole Foods? I, I need the deliveries. You know, Brussels sprouts are imperative right now. Uh, and so I got to a point where I said, okay, where's the pain in the world right now? As an entrepreneur, as a father of three, married to the most amazing woman for the last 35 years, thank goodness she still tolerates me on the daily. 
because I'm a little, as, as you might have figured already, I go, he's a little much. Uh, he's a little extra. I started realizing one thing, and that is we have gotten to a point for many of us in our lives where mediocrity was that was the the stepping stone. That was like, that was the aspiration. I'm like, going, wait, getting by? Oh, that's, that's, mm, I'm not buying this. It's like, I have a philosophy and that is at our core gentlemen, we're three. If we just boilerplate it down to like the basics, because if you really ask anyone in their life where they're living, and in fact, I have this question I ask people regularly, they ask me how they're feeling. I don't ask them how they're doing. If you ask someone how they're doing, you're going to get a very cognitive response. You're going to, they're going to be actually in their head going, hey, I do a lot, man. I'm busy. I've got, you know, I've got, I'm going from show to show to show. I'm taking notes. I, I have the family. I have friends. I have all these things that I'm responsible for. I am busy. And I go, that's great. I'm glad that you're acknowledging that time is the most valuable asset that you have access to because the universe granted you 24 hours in a day and at midnight, the day reset. So you get to decide how you're going to invest it. Okay. Well, that sounds very philosophical, Chuck. You know, what does that got to do with anything? And I go, well, let's get really real. Do you know what you're worth an hour? Because people burn time like it's, you know, just, no, oh, just make it rain. I, I've, I've got time. I go, really? Wow, you're a time traveler. Or you can slow time. You can manifest more time than the rest of us mere mortals have. And I started realizing that, no. So this beckoned a question, guys. Why are we playing small? Why are you just getting by? Because again, anything that you experience in life comes down to one of three responses. And, and I'm going to, uh, we'll test the theory. So ask a three-year-old how they're, you know, how you feeling? They go, oh, I'm happy, I'm sad, or I'm okay. Wait, what? I go, I went back in my memory bank. I was like, all three of my kids. Why? Because they're aspiring to be happy when all the freaking time. And when they're not, they're sad. Why? Because they're not getting what they want or what they need. But here was the one space that started driving me crazy. Because most people's responses, if you ask them how they're feeling or how they're doing or how they're being, how they are, they respond, I'm okay. And I'm like, boy, that's like the baseline of mediocrity. And that is literally survival. There's no thrive in that. There's no options or opportunity or, or there's nothing compelling because if they get a little something, something extra, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, hey, I'm rolling in it. You know, it's like, I'm good. I have sub friends. They go, oh, I'm getting mine. I'm like, what does that even mean? Getting yours. Did you get an appropriation that I don't know about because I'm not getting mine? I said, they go, well, how are you living? I said, abundantly. I'm filling up constantly, man. They're like, oh, what? I go, yeah, body, mind and spirit. Well, you're weird, Chuck. I said, yes, thank goodness. I said, don't you aspire to be unique as well? Or are you just chasing after the Joneses or the Smiths because you think that they have more than you do? I have never met anyone on their deathbed that said, I wish I had more money. I had more cars. I had more Gucci, Prada, Chanel. I, I, I've, seriously. But I've heard them say, I wish I had more time. I wish I had more experiences. I wish I would have taken, and hear this clearly, I wish I would have taken the time. Well, then take it. Stop playing small. So who I am, the very easiest sense of the word, I'm a man that works as a mentor strategist in behavioral sciences to help business owners and entrepreneurs, as well as people who just want to be loving human beings, aspire in faith, family, fitness, and finance to live their best life. That's it. That's, that's, uh, my company's called Your Best Life.
And there's a reason for it. You can get by. And if you're going to live life, why would you just want to be live a mediocre life? Why would you want to live your best life? So that's what we do. We set standards that we aspire to live around because that's the gravity that people are actually drawn to. And we help people find three things. One, how to move from being business operators to being business owners. Because there are a lot of people who have great businesses and they have no idea how to scale them. They have no exit plan. They have no succession planning. And it's like, okay, how do you create an aspiration where now you get your most valuable asset back, which is time to enjoy everything? Oh, what a unique concept. Instead of trading dollars for hours or because, hey, if you want the job done right, you got to do it yourself. I said, no, then you have a low standard because you're not aspiring. I said, your ego is not allowing you to hire people who can do it better, faster, further than you can. Huh. The second thing is, is that we look at what are the needs, not the wants of people. See, you need air, water, food, shelter, love and connection. Those things you need. In fact, they go, wait, the love and connection part, dude, I'm okay on my own. I said, really? Did you realize, and you can ask any physician or neonatal nurse this, ask any pediatrician or, uh, or obstetrician or anyone that delivers babies, if a child is not loved within the first five to 10 minutes of their existence on this planet, they will perish. It's called failure to thrive syndrome. That's why there's connection to a human being, irrespective of what's going on with the child. There's human touch. If they're even an incubator because they're preemies, they are touched consistently. And there's a reason for it. We have a need as human beings for connection. And that's why COVID was so detrimental because it actually was separating people and their perception of proximity was taken away. And they're like, oh my gosh, how do I get closer to people? They go, oh, through this concept, you know, if it's through Riverside or through Zoom or video conferencing. And I said, well, it helped, but it wasn't the same. Not at all. I love what you're doing. That's great. And there's a strong uh, element of faith that run, seems to run through your life and, and your work. Talk to us about that, if you don't mind. Sure. So I am a very interesting ethnic background. My father was in the Navy for 30 years. And so I'm from Japan originally. My mother's Japanese. My father's Irish. So if this looks confusing, I get it. <laughs> uh, and so my wife is from Nicaragua. So we're into cultural diversity. My kids are thoroughly confused at this point. They're like, wait, dude, what, what box do we check? I said, you're Americans. Dad was born overseas. Mom was born in Nicaragua. But I share this with you because it gave me something interesting, guys, and that was perspective. My dad's Roman Catholic. My mother was a Buddhist. She converted to Catholicism. And I had the privilege of going to some private schools when I was a kid. We were a middle-class family, but my parents scrimped and saved so that my, my siblings and I could actually attend parochial schools. And I can say with a full heart that these nuns and priests helped shape my life. They're beautiful people. I was never inappropriately, I'll say, connected with any way, shape, or form. So there's a lot of faith that was involved in this. And I would say today I'm a highly spiritual person. I wouldn't say I'm an uber-religious person, and I'll explain why. Because I believe that irrespective of where you're at in this planet, so if it's the universe, Allah, uh, you you know, espouse to reading the Bible or the Torah or the Quran, whatever the case might be, I said, energy comes from having a belief in something greater than ourselves. And we're all beings of light. So I'm going to get scientific for just for a second, if that's okay. And that is, if you go back to baseline chemistry, when you're like eighth grade, uh, freshman in high school, we learn this concept. They're all made of protons, neutrons, and electrons. Well, those are all measurements of light. And so 
if everything's made up of protons, neutrons, and electrons, I said, it may come in different densities, different forms, different shapes, but we're all made of the same stuff. That's one of the reasons why when we get into communities like a religious environment or a spiritual environment, it could be even communing with nature. And you're like, oh, man, and when I'm at the beach and my toes are in the sand and I can hear the seagulls and smell the fresh salt air. For others, it's, oh, gosh, when I'm up in the Rocky Mountains and you know, I'm amongst the pine trees and the blue spruce and I can just smell that fresh, you know, although there's 30% less of it at altitude, but that beautiful mountain air, that crispness, and I can feel the cold on my face like, a wow, this is so, you feel connected to something way larger than you are. And that's because there's energy all around us. We're swimming in it. Where most people live in mediocrity is because they've disconnected from what's real and who they are. They've forgotten. They've forgotten what they need in their lives. So you need air because you can only go minutes without it. You need water. You can only go days without it. You need food. You can only go weeks without it. And, you know, shelter is imperative because now home is where the heart is. There's a sense of security that comes with having a place, even if it's a rental. That's okay. It's borrowed and love and connection. So these elements help create us, but body, mind, and spirit. I know some people who are billionaires by all other people's accounts financially. Oh my gosh. Like they are rolling in it yet. They're on the fifth or sixth marriage. And you're like, Oh, wait, wait, where's the prosperity? They go, Oh, they're just after me for my money. And I'm like going, well then don't flash the money. You don't have to roll up in a Bugatti. You really don't drive up in a 19, 89 or oh, let's not, I won't get crazy. Drive up in a Yugo. All right. You want to see if someone really loves you for you? Walk up with some Gap jeans on, an H&M t-shirt, maybe some Converse, if that's how you roll, in a Yugo. And then, hey, if you make a connection with someone at that point, you know it's love, brother. And then there's a prenup. No, uh, so, <laughs> but, uh, sorry, my legal part of my brain goes that way. But my point being is, we get to decide, and, and this is huge, and I'm going to implore people. So thank you for bringing up the spiritual part. I have a belief that we're all here for a purpose, that you are, you're not by mistake. You're not by happenstance. You weren't some science experiment gone awry, that you have a purpose, and there's a need for every single one of us in this universe. We get to find out and express ourselves so that way we can create connection with other people. And most of the time, it'll have nothing even to do with what you said. It'll be how your state management is and how your energy shows up. And I know you've probably experienced this. Someone will walk in a room and heads will turn. They didn't say a word. They weren't wearing Armani or Versace, but it's just like, wow, there was like presence. There was like a wave of energy that came in. You're like, what was that? People who had this, Mother Teresa, the Dalai Lama, Nelson Mandela. They go, oh, so you have to be a spiritual guy. I said, no, 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 no. And there's other people whose heads turn depending on your political affiliation. They go, oh, he's a big guy with kind of reddish orangish hair or, oh, he's an elderly statesman. And you're like a different energy. <laughs> but I can tell you this, there's two types. There's those that want you there and those that can't wait till you leave. And why is that important? Because you showing up congruently allows you to be your best self. We have a family motto. You could be doing your best, but never being your best. When you're being your best, you will always do your best. You can't help it because you're present and you're unapologetic in who you are and how you show up and how you represent yourself. That can only come from one place and it's far greater than you. So 
looking at you know that that idea that you know you can work a nine to five and you're kind of dedicating all of your time um maybe you don't have that perspective of like looking out far into the future and just going back to like that scientific perspective you know you need to really understand something to be able to harness it and to be able to manipulate it so how do you gain that perspective of having a longer time horizon in front of you may i ask a question do you need to know how electricity is created in order to flip a light switch? No. Oh, interesting. But yet I can go ahead and flip a light switch and power a drill, turn on lights, cook a meal, cool and refrigerate my food. So the truth is we don't need to have an absolute clear understanding as to the originations. What we get to do is honor the representation of the meaning that it has in our lives now. There's a beautiful story, and I hope this helps kind of clarify this and create lucidity around it. There's a story about twin brothers. Okay. One is a tenured professor at MIT, married two beautiful kids. The other one is on death row. And these are twins, identical twins that were born moments apart. When they ask them, what do they contribute their life conditions to? This was the amazing part. And this is a true story, by the way. They said, how could I not have turned out this way? Look who my father was. Whoa. Wait, what? Now, they have very different meanings and understandings as to their life events, but their father was a career criminal who actually was on death row. He's no longer with us because he was executed. He was committed of armed robbery, not one, just once, but twice. And they go, how did that happen? First time he got off. Second time, not so much. One of the sons decided to follow in his father's footsteps because that was the role model. The other one saw the abuse and how it tore the family apart and said, never again, I'm going to improve myself. Identical twins, identical genomic sequencing, okay? Vastly different experiences living in the same conditions. So why do I share this with you? It's never about the experience. It's about the meanings that we attach to them and what gives us leverage to move past. Huh? See, there's a couple facets to this. So to your point, why are so many people living in mediocrity? Because they feel that this is the best they deserve. And so the belief system is, is that as long as I'm getting by, I'm okay. Well, the human condition is such that we have six human needs. And these go back to not only just Tony Robbins, so I give credit to Source because I've learned so much from the man over two decades I spent in the environment. And so he says that there's a need of certainty. There's another need of uncertainty or variety. We want to call it that. There's significance love and connection, and then the last two are spiritual growth and then contribution. These two being very spiritual because this is when we move outside of ourselves. Now, why is this important to understand? Most people will not move forward in life if they feel insecure. If they feel like, oh my gosh, everything's at risk. It's like, you know, a roulette. Boy, do you bet on red or black? And they go, screw that. I'm not betting. Dude, I can't afford that. I, I can't afford to be in that space. So what they do is they dim their light. Because if I'm not needy and I fly into the radar, that I'm not going to get in trouble. What leader, what influencer, what person that you know, and you two are leaders, you're here, you're thought provokers and you're world changers because you're hosting this podcast. That influence is not by happenstance. It's a calling. But you both, if I were to hallucinate, you both believe that there's something greater in life in this world and that your story is not yours to keep, it's to share. 
and by being, bringing people on that can help support those metrics. doesn't mean that it's all right or wrong. It just means that it is. And by providing that number two variety or uncertainty, because now, hey, I don't have to be certain that this guy's being honest with me, but boy, you know what? What if, what if, what if instead of going, no, never, but we said, what if this was a possibility? What if there was an opportunity? What if your current life conditions could change that fast because you decided, huh? But what does it take? Here's the secret sauce. The human condition is such that you'll do more to avoid pain than you'll do to give yourself pleasure. Now, I had someone call me out on this a couple weeks ago. And they're like, come on, man. That doesn't make any sense. Really? More to avoid pain? I said, well, let's test the theory. You go, both look like you're in great shape. So you work, I'm going to make the assumption that you work out and that you eat healthy. Yeah, there you go. So here's the deal. Why? I want to see my grandbabies get married. Yeah, I want to be able to keep up with a three-year-old. <laughs> Dude, trust me. I've got a 22, a 19, and a 16. Brother's working over here, okay? I mean, Asian genetics help, but I still got that 50% Irish side in me. So it's like, as my mom reminds me, she's the Japanese one. Uh, she goes, all the good stuff came from me. Here's the amazing part. I know people who didn't start working out. So they got a prognosis from their physician that they were hypertensive, pre-diabetic, that they were 15, 20 pounds overweight. In fact, what COVID did is it exposed a lot of people who had not been receiving self-care for a long period of time. And the consequence of that was, is that you ended up having folks that were all of a sudden ill and then having all these other conditions that came up. So all of a sudden they go, I better start working out. Wait, had they been working out, it, they probably would have not been having the same experience with those physical ailments. So it wasn't to feel better. It was to avoid pain. Oh, okay. And they go, oh, are you being judgmental? I said, no, I'm happy that you decided that now health and vitality are a major part of your outcomes and goals. I'm like, I'm all in, brother. That's awesome. And on the other side, and then they go, okay. Are you going to continue with it? And they go, well, you know, I'm starting to feel better and my numbers are, I said, whoa, 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 whoa. It doesn't, it's not like this is a perishable skill set. Okay. It's not like it's going to just stay because you, you lift one, you do one curl and all of a sudden you got firepower, biceps. You're like, no, 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 no. Ordinary things done consistently produce extraordinary results. We as human beings are habitual. And after 21 days, if you do something consistently and you make it part of your lifestyle and you schedule it, you'll commit to it. So there's habits that we can help reinforce. But to your point, Lucas, I'm going to agree to disagree. And that is we do not have to have, I do not have to know every single thing about the universe to know that I'm living in it. And so I'm going to quote Simon Sinek for a moment. Love the guy. Just brilliant insightfulness. I love what he says in The Infinite Game about living an infinite mindset. If you're in a finite mindset, here's the rules. You know all the players in the game. You know all of them. I'm like, okay, cool. So think of like sports, right? You know who's on the football field. Second, there's rules to the game. And if you break the rules, there's penalties. Third, the outcome of the game is to win it. So it's a 50-50 total proposition. There's no, oh, we tied, we're getting by. No, 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 no. You either pass or fail, go, not go. That's it. Well, very finite in its opportunities at that point. And this is where a lot of people are living. They live a finite mindset. They know the people at their work. They know the rules. If you break the rules then you're going to get fired or you're going to get released. And then the last one is, is that you're either winning or losing. So in their opinion, they'll settle for a getting by 
they find this gray area and it's right on the teetering point of the teeter-totter, right? So they're doing this the entire time. They're just trying to keep present. Let's throw that out the window for a second because here's the people like the Elon Musk's of the world or the Stephen Jobs or the Warren Buffett's, you know, irrespective of political affiliation, just I'm talking about business acumen, you know, excellence, Tom Brady, irrespective of coming out of retirement and then going back in retirement, the Kobe Bryant's of the world, the Shaquille O'Neal's of the world. What did they do? They're nuts. They're nuts. Elon Musk, who comes out and takes on the automobile industry and then goes, you know, rockets. Do we really need NASA? We can launch our own stuff and my rockets will land themselves. We're going to reuse boosters. We're going to, it's like, are you crazy? Yes. Yes, I am. And that's because he believes in an infinite mindset. Number one rule. You only know some of the players because as you're growing, your sphere of influence, what we talked about, that energy that you put out is going to change because you're evolving and growing. Change is going to happen with or without you. So you get to decide how you're showing up. Number two, there aren't any rules. There's value alignment. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, there's no right or wrong? No. We are going to commune together and our number one need is to be authentic and real and we're going to grow together. I kind of like that. Why? Because now we have variety. Now you're looking for opposing opinions. You're looking for your scotomas, your blind spots, because you can't see behind your head. And the last one and the most important one, there's no winning or losing. There's staying in the game as long as you can. And that's called life. You do not win at relationships. You get to partake, engage, and collaborate with other human beings. And if we're blessed, we get to do it for a really long time to watch our grandkids, to watch our children grow up, to go to their weddings, to be able to play. So I would say we don't have to just know everything. We get to be your human being, not a human doing. We uh, work with leaders like you do, uh, helping them create 30-year visions for their life. And then you know, how do they get there from here? And one of the pillars of that house that we help them build, the house of leadership that we help them build is work, family, self. I'd love to hear your thoughts on work life and the uh, visions that you're describing, the achievement that you're describing. I'm so glad that you asked this question because this was one of my biggest challenges for decades. And they go, wait, you? I was like, yes, me. Again, I have a PhD in screw-ups, okay? My wife's in the next room. I can get this validated in about a New York minute, okay? Uh, and here's what's beautiful. It's loving each other in spite of all the lessons and the learning. See, it's only a failure if you don't learn anything. And so I look at everything I've ever gone through as a challenge and come out the other side, sometimes not even smell like a rose, that I had to wash off all that nastiness in order to get down to the lesson. And here's what I realized. There's no such thing as work-life balance. There's an aspiration to live a harmonious life. Because that change that we talk about is going to happen with or without you. If it was 50-50, there's no such thing as 50-50 in a relationship. It's 100-100. You want to have the most amazing relationship with your spouse, your cohort. If it's a giving to get, that's horse trading. That's not where we live. We choose to live at 100-100. And that is, I'm going to give my best and be my best. You're going to give your best and be your best. And in the middle, we're going to find connection and love and aspirations and dreams. And I started realizing that for myself, and I'll, I'll speak for my own hallucination, that my desired outcomes for my family weren't theirs. Like, what? What? Like, come on. I said, no, it wasn't theirs. See, I thought I was being a great dad if my kids never had to worry about money or things and stuff. 
And I look back at my own childhood and I go, again, I come from very humble beginnings. And I go, at any given point in time in my life, I thought I was rolling in it when I became a young adult and started making some money because I had more than three pairs of shoes. Because when I was a kid, I had sneakers, I had a pair of dress shoes, and then I had a a pair of flip-flops. Those were my three pairs of shoes. And the sneakers were for everything, okay? If you were playing basketball, those were your shoes. Tennis, those were your shoes. Running in the park, those were your shoes. Those were your sneakers. And you wore those things till the tread came off. My dress shoes, oh, that was for church and Sundays and dress, you know, events. But you didn't wear those for any other thing. You weren't running in those bad boys. So why do I share this with you? Because we have this ideology at times that we, our aspiration for others, people, is like, I know what my family needs. No, you know what you want to give them. See, when your needs are being met at the highest level, your wants change. I need transportation. All right, let's face facts, guys. I like a Ferrari. I don't want the bill that goes along with the maintenance and stuff, but boy, to roll up in a Ferrari. But you have a family of five. I was like, I guess we're going to have to strap them to the hood and to you know, the roof rack because, I mean, <laughs> dude, it's a two-seater. And they're like, okay, probably not the most practical car check for your family. I go, I, but I want a Ferrari. And I was like, okay, why? And this is where we start getting real. Status, look, speed, the message it sends to people. They go, you know what? That's stupid. Because transportation could be one of those little electric rental Lime scooters or, you know, Bluebird. And I was like, oh, okay, wait, because I'm only going two blocks. I don't need to drive the Ferrari from my penthouse apartment garage complex that the valet brought up so I could drive two blocks to go to the office. I go, you know what? That little scooter could have worked just fine. And the point in being is, is that when we get practical about our needs, so I need love in my life. I know that about me. I'm a huge love bug. So my number one need is love. It is love and connection and not just connection because like this is great. And I'm sure that I, I feel your guys energy and I'm so grateful to be here with you both. And I'm going to say this for a very heart centered place. And that is, I'm sure if we were to sit down and have lunch together, we'd have tons of stuff to talk about. Why? Because I have a sneaking suspicion that we have a lot of values that are in alignment, even just from your line of questioning. So thank you for being so heart centric, both of you, really. The third thing is this. I do not believe in work-life balance, and here's why. Work-life balance means that it's a 50-50 split. So if I'm going to, like, if health and vitality and, you know, and I'm talking family and work-life balance, I go, your work is going to create, and I'll put it a different way, your occupation, your passion project is going to require X amount of time. So get really great at what you're amazing at and what you're not, give away. Let someone else handle that. Let someone else, that's their proclivity. I am a... On a disc model, I have a very unique disc, and I'll just say it that way. I'm very right and left brain oriented, very artistic, but very analytical. Now, what do I show you? I'm not saying that to brag. I can do a lot of things adaptively, but that doesn't mean they fill me up. I don't go, ooh, accounting. Yes, give me more. No, I don't want to have to look at more P&L statements. I can do it. I can scrub a business model. I can go ahead and look at the balance sheets and the AR. I can look at the taxation forms. Does it mean I love doing it? Heck freaking no. What do I love? This engagement, people, time, energy, and not even for influence to share and care. So why am I saying this with you? My Japanese grandfather had this saying when I was little. And he believes that you're born with a certain number of heartbeats. God rest his soul. He's been gone for many years now. And I was like, okay, Oji-san, you know, what, what, I, I don't get that. I'm like seven at the time when we're having this conversation many moons ago. He goes, Charu-san, 
you have a certain number of heartbeats. I said, okay, thank you, grandfather. Why is that so important? He goes, slow down, slow down. You don't have to waste heartbeats over anxiety, stress, worry over things. He goes, because your heartbeat goes higher and faster. He goes, excitement. Oh, that's good. He goes, because that feeds your soul. The other higher heartbeat takes from your soul. So spend time around more people that feed your soul, feed your mind, feed your spirit, fulfill your heart. He goes, that's what gives you a long life. Sage wisdom from my ancestors. You had mentioned, you know, the diversity in your life, your ethnic background, and also having a wife from Nicaragua. And I was like, oh, that's kind of funny because my wife is Colombian. And so I have the experience of trying to bring up my son bilingual and, you know, exposing him to the Colombian culture and that thing, things like that. What do you believe that, like, having that diversity in your life adds? And also, if you want to bring it to organizations. Cultural diversity is actually the eco-center and the, the ecology that allows us to assimilate in any business setting. So let me explain quickly. Values and rules are the cornerstones. So if you look at Latin culture, look at how often you have multicultural families that are living together. So in Latin culture, it's not uncommon to have grandmother, great-grandmother, or grandfather living with the family. It's very European in its orientation. Asians are very much the same way. They have multiple generations of family living together. It's only in the United States that we have this precedent where it's like, oh, you're getting old. Well, there's this thing called a retirement community. We like to go ahead and you know bounce you out there. We love you. We mean it. And But yeah, don't worry. They, they have porters and caretakers and orderlies. And, and you're going to be in a community with a bunch of old people. And you're going to have a great time. The truth is, is that we can learn from the blending of ecologies. Because what we started noticing was, is that, in fact, there's a show. I don't know if it's on anymore, but it was a show called One to 100. And it was a show about a great, great, not just great, great, great grandmother who was 100 years old and her great, great granddaughter who was one year old. And this is what was interesting. They were about the same speed. They slept at the same times, <laughs> naps the whole nine yards. And they showed this relationship of the connection of a multi-generational family line. Why do I share this? Because what we start to notice is, is that in our experience of other cultures, we start to understand that the emotions that we all feel, irrespective of race, religion, color, creed, orientation, are all the same. Happy is happy. Sad is sad. Okay is okay. Frustration, adulation, excitement, jubilee, festive nature. They're all the same. We all celebrate in very similar ways. If we didn't, how would you know that someone, when they're like smiling and gregarious, that they're happy? Or that when they look sullen and they're looking down and they have shallow depth, that they might be depressed or sad. We are connected emotionally to one another. So to your point, in business, we can find the same metrics. Here's the challenge. We make things very strategic in business. And in many instances, because of companies and HR and guidelines and rules, we remove the humanistic property. And we put together these artificial guidelines. So part of this is, is like, what's your outcome? So I have three questions I ask myself every day. And this is religiously. The first one is, is how am I feeling? Not what am I doing? How am I feeling? And I check in. And then I'll ask myself the second question. So what does that mean? 
the fact that I'm feeling this way, what does that mean? Well, this, this, and this happened today. And I was like, okay, great. And then I'll ask myself the third question, which is the most important. How do I need to feel instead? See, the quality of your life is in direct proportion to how you feel. If you feel challenged or frustrated or aggravated or, you know, you're living in procrastination, I said, oh, well, does that make you happy or sad or okay? And they go, well, it makes me sad, man. You know, if you want to really get down to it, because I should be more disciplined than that. I said, okay, great. But I also know this, where focus goes, energy flows. And your brain does not know negativity. It doesn't. If I ask you right now, don't think about a dog. Do anything you have to do, but right now, do not let in your mind thinking about it. Dude, come on. I can see you already go. What kind of dog is it? Don't think about the dog. Well, here's the deal. Your brain doesn't have a distinction as to positive or negative. It's very binary. So it's only looking for a dog where focus goes, energy flows. So if you are focusing on not having challenges or problems, guess what you're going to get more of? Challenges and problems. So if we look at the antithesis of that and go, oh, I'm looking for opportunities. I'm looking for fulfillment. I'm looking for ways that I can move forward in a positive manner. I go, then guess what? You're already moving away from the negative because what you're focusing on is a positive. So that's why they're saying to everyone's point, if we can find the beauty and look at things through an appreciative eye and they go, oh, it's like the Stuart Smalley. I'm smart enough. I'm bright enough. And by golly, people like me. Like, no, I'm not saying be artificial. What I'm saying is believe till you achieve. Don't fake it till you make it. Trying to adopt someone else's ideology or someone else's persona will only get you pain. It's a temporary fix. They did a study at Harvard. You could actually stand, and for men, if you stand like Superman with your hands on your hip, or you, you know, high chest, you know, you're getting your best Henry Calvill on, you know, you're going to go ahead and I'm five, almost five, eight. I, I can't do six, four, but I can, I can attempt. I'll stand on a chair or something. But my point in being is, is that if you stand that way, it will actually change your physical state because in your conscious mind, this is what strength looks like. Here's the challenge with it, though. You can't stand that way when you're lifting weights. So will you remain strong? No, because that's not who your identity is. And the number one need that the human condition has is to remain consistent with who we believe we are. So anything that you follow with I am becomes your identity and your reality. This is from Jim Quick, by the way, who is probably one of the, the most prolific brain strategists I've ever met on the planet. Amazing human being. Amazing human being. But whatever you follow with I am, you will become. So if you go, oh, I'm broke, I'm unhappy, I struggle with love, well, that's going to be your identity. But what if you said, I'm not broken, I'm full, I'm intelligent, I'm smart, I'm humorous, I have the ability to grow. Man, now you start seeing possibilities all around you. This is what they need to be teaching in schools, by the way. Well, you'd probably have far fewer sh shootings, you'd probably have far fewer incidents, because most people who lash out are the ones that feel socially disconnected from the rest because they feel judged or marginalized or negated or manipulated. There's a lot of similar themes and you'd be, you'd be right. If we did sit down for lunch, we'd have a lot to talk about. I think it's ironic that part of your vision for success and affluence or however you might label that was shoes. For, for me, that was one of mine for, for a good part of my life, being able to walk into a store and buy a pair of shoes without planning was a measure of success for a long time so thanks so much for being here well that concludes this episode of building a coaching culture i truly hope that this episode was helpful to you if it was be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well thanks again and we'll see you next time